Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey back to the 80s, my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. What do you think they put in those little dollhouses? What do you think? Us? Yes, you got it on the first try. Bill. What? We're in prison. That's right, listeners. Today we will be discussing the 1980 blockbuster comedy Stir Crazy, starring Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, directed by Sidney Poitier. This movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 51 minutes. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is what's on the box. Take it away, Jason. One of the looniest pictures to come along in some time. Stir Crazy teams two of the most brilliant and zany comic performers today, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Skip and Harry have both just been fired from their jobs, so they take off in their van for California to seek fame and fortune. But somewhere along the way, the van conks out, and they're broke, and, well, they have to eat, right? So they land a gig as singing and dancing woodpeckers to promote a bank opening. When two bank robbers steal their costumes and stick up the bank, guess who gets the blame? Skip and Harry are carted off to the state pen for 125 years. There they try to keep their sanity and their lives amidst a sadistic warden, a hulking mass murderer, and an inter-prison rodeo, all with great hilarity. Stir crazy! So that was what's on the box. So it's time to move on to our earliest memories of the film. Jason, why don't you start us off? Bill? Yes. Man, wow. I am thrilled to be covering this classic. A true, this isn't even a cult classic. This is a classic from the year 1980. And it was just a real pleasure to watch this. So first of all, good evening, fine sir. Good evening, Jason. Yeah. Earliest memories of Stir Crazy. I, you know, funny enough, I could have sworn I had seen this movie at some point, but I realized that I just heard about it so much that I think I really wanted to have seen it. And I think my earliest memories basically lie within trailers that were showing on television, word of mouth, and probably video clips and or montages from maybe award shows or uh, like best of video packages on the different, whatever it might be. But after watching it, I realized I'd never seen this film all the way through from beginning to end. Now, that being said, um, like I said, I do remember, you know, hearing about how funny it was all the time as a kid, realizing that, you know, this was 1980. So I'm probably around seven years old or so. So I may have been too young for some of the content. So I definitely didn't see this in the theater. Um, and it probably, if I did see any of it, it would have been on HBO afterward. Because we did not own this on VHS or had we didn't record it on VHS off of HBO. But um, yeah, I, I'm realizing overall, Bill Bant, that my memory of most movies probably before 1982 is pretty hazy. Again, due to the fact that I was just really young and my love of film started with star Wars really. So the movies I was watching on repeat in the earlier portion of the 1980s were 
the Star Wars films, Raiders, Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, and maybe Flash Gordon, another 1980 classic, now a little bit more of a cult classic maybe. But So whenever I think of Stir Crazy, I can't help but thinking of an earlier film in which this duo appeared, that being Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, because their first pairing was in a movie called Silver Streak, which I was a fan of. And I did watch that a few times and looked forward to seeing that on HBO. I definitely remember that. Very entertaining movie. So I know I saw that, but somehow Stir Crazy kind of got lost in the mix for me. Again, although I was very aware of it. Again, the one memory that kind of sticks in my head, of course, is just that image of Wilder and Pryor in the, in the uh, Woodpecker costumes. I mean, it's on the poster, right? Yep. Can't escape that. And it's classic. It's hilarious. It's just a great image. It's really funny looking. So that's really it for me. I'll leave it there, man. What are your earliest memories, Bill Band? So this is definitely a movie. The first time I saw it was on like UHF television. In all oh. its edited glory, because wow, yeah. growing up, I mean, to me, Gene Wilder was the guy because Willy Wonka, you mentioned Silver Streak, and then even Young Frankenstein. I mean, sure. I, anytime those were on TV, my dad had them on because he thought they were hilarious. So I was always watching them with him. And then when this finally came on TV, of course, like we watched this one, too. So I do remember it from T. Yeah. So this is probably the second movie we've done where the first time I really watched it was on television first. And then eventually, you know, you, you rent it from the video store and you realize, whoa, it's a little bit different. There's a lot of language in this all of a sudden. And, (laughs) you know, some of the, some of the jokes uh, that you didn't get as a kid. Now you're starting to understand more as, you know, when you're getting older and, uh, there's some adult themes. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, there's some adult themes. There's some things I certainly did not get. You know, I didn't get the whole oregano in the beginning. I didn't understand oh, what yeah. that meant. Yeah, yeah. The so my, sixty-five. Yeah. <laughs> Go uh, ahead. Sorry, it's just no, it's okay. already laughing just thinking about some of these scenes. Oh, I Go ahead, man. But yeah, I, I love Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder is one of my favorites growing up. Um, when he passed away. Uh, Guys, five years ago, that was like a gut punch to me, to yeah. be honest. I was, you know, one of the few people when you you hear pass away, that was just a gut punch. And um, I really wish Pryor and Wilder had done more movies together. Four was definitely not enough. They should have been coming out with something like every two years. Yeah, agreed. But yeah, I was I was a big fan of this movie. Watched all the time. Even when we were watching for this. I have like an old DVD which has the you know one side is the full frame, and then you flip it over. It's the widescreen so that's how old like i have this probably right when it came out on dvd the first time that's how old i have so thank god it wasn't all scratched up and i was able to watch it but uh that's really cool man the first couple times i saw this was on was on television regular television uh excellent man uh yeah does that totally makes sense i i'm ready to share some initial thoughts yeah go for it and first of all what can you say? You were talking about your love for Gene Wilder. I share that love. I think my love uh, came or into fruition or was fully realized a little bit later than you uh, came to love him. You know, I discovered Young Frankenstein much later. It was probably even in the later '90s, early 2000s. I remember having. I was like, I, I was like, why have I not seen this? This is. I cried laughing, maybe even peed my pants a little. It was. I just thought Young Frankenstein was that funny. 
And I remember my sister coming out to LA on vacation. I was like, you got to sit down with me and watch this movie. Cause I just wanted to share some laughs with my sister. And she thought it was great too. And it was like, I just want everybody to see this movie as soon as possible, even though mostly everyone already had, I was the one that was late to the party, funny enough, but uh, Richard Pryor, knowing some of his standup and some of his, you know, history, but these are two heavyweights without a doubt. I mean, it's unassailable. These guys are at the top of their game, especially during these years when they made these movies and one of the best comedic duos of all time on screen duos. Oh yes. And uh, again, they are unassailable. So that being said, this movie is insane. I wasn't ready for the roller coaster ride that I was about to go on. The tone is all over the place. There's different genres mixed together in this movie. It's not just an outright comedy. It is overall a comedy. No question about it. It's a prison movie, a prison escape movie. It's a, uh, a little bit of action, a little bit of uh, drama. So anyway, uh, this movie is definitely insane. And so the movie begins and right off the bat, I'm like, oh, I got to pause this. I've got three thoughts. <laughs> Literally within the first like few frames, I'm like a beautiful image of New York City. And of course, always that uh, shot from an older film that contains the two towers, the twin oh, towers. Yeah. So that right off the bat jumps out to me. Gene Wilder singing the opening song entitled crazy. Yeah. Like funny. So you have one of our protagonists and lead actors in the film singing the theme song in a way right mm-hmm. off the bat, which is funny. And then uh, the executive, the producer of this film is named Hannah Weinstein. And immediately I'm like, wait a minute. Is she related to Harvey Weinstein? Is this one of the, which is not true. Yeah. That's I was like, please don't be. No, she's not. Yeah, but they jumped down. Those were the three things. I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Like, whoa, 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 here we go. So that was just kind of funny. But uh, again, let's just get back to this comedic pairing. Wilder and Pryor, they really are that good. This is a prime example. If you just want to see two masters at the top of their game and what the true definition of chemistry is, because... I'll get to it in my favorite scenes, but I'm going to spoil it for everyone a little bit here. The first scene that you see them in together, right at the top of the movie, when they go to a bar in New York after they've been uh, fired from their jobs, they're just playing with each other. They're like two old friends that are just, they can finish each other's sentences. They're just flowing. They're playing off each other. They're natural. There's something about them, Bill, that I realized right off the bat. And this is definitely one of my initial thoughts was, was that there's a genuineness with these guys. They're genuinely funny. They seem to have a genuine love for one another. When they're performing, they're not just being comedians. They're not performing a routine. It flows. And they're improving a lot of their scenes in this movie. You're watching magic. You're watching the sparks fly in the moment. And there's no shtick. They've been given an outline that they kind of the script that they're supposed to be following. And they, they just riff. They just riff and you get to sit back and enjoy. So uh, there's something about it. Maybe it's the, the, this time, you know, when we talk about the then and now, but back in the 1980s versus maybe movies today where there wasn't a sense of, you know, when you watch a movie like this, that it's about marketing and I'm not blaming anyone in particular, not any 
movie stars today or celebrities or the, the movie making machine or the studio process, but it's a different world today in, in Hollywood and, and the movie making industry. And then with this, this community, do it. They just, you can see the love of the craft and the art that being comedy and acting really just, just come out, man. It's just so much fun to watch. And the fact that they are good actors, they're not just comedians. They're really good actors. It's just, it's fun to watch, man. I just, just kind of an opening statement, man, here for me, uh, not just an initial thought. So gosh, you know, there's another thing with these, with these, these eighties movies. I just had to, to comment on here. Uh, one of the first sight gags actually, which is in that opening scene at the, the bar in New York, uh, because we have Skip Donahue played by Gene Wilder and Harry Monroe played by Richard Pryor, uh, old friends that are coming together and they're talking to each other about how they've just lost their jobs. And I believe it's a, it's the the car valet that comes in all upset, uh, Chico, uh, who comes. Oh, I thought it was a taxi and, driver. Oh, oh, is that what? Okay. Yeah, it's a taxi that, driver. Okay, um, so taxi driver comes in and he's upset uh, at the uh, uh, customer who who he thinks has ripped him off, and they get into an actual physical altercation, and somehow Chico grabs uh, some pliers. I never noticed this before because there's a guy that's working on the pinball machine right there. So that's where oh, he got the pliers from. Sure. Okay. Yeah. The guys so the pinball machine. tools laying around. That's the first time I ever noticed what was going right. on, why he got those hands on the pliers. So amidst the fight, Chico grabs a pair of pliers and goes straight for the cojones of the taller gentleman who is the customer who supposedly has ripped him off. Yes. And it, there's, it's, it's very funny, but it's a typical thing in eighties. Cause you think about again, then and now where that particular scene, it goes on a little bit too long. Where it's kind of like we get it. Yes. We get the joke. I agree. It's overdone. It's overcooked a little bit. Whereas a scene like that today in a comedy today would be like, it would be just, it would be cut in half. It would be edited and let's keep it moving. Keep it fast, faster, is funnier, et cetera. Got to keep the jokes coming. So that was just an initial thought where it's like the timing of it is a little bit different. I think about, you know, the Blues Brothers from 1980 as well, right? Same year. There's probably there's a little bit in there where Blues Brothers is clearly a classic, but they really take their time with some of the, the scenes have a tendency to run a little bit long. Uh, just another thought. Um, this movie gets strange, man. It gets strange because I thought it was going to be one thing and then it turns into another because this movie, we have these two guys that are down on the luck. They lost their jobs. But they're going to they're going to achieve their dreams by moving cross country and going to Hollywood, you know, reaching for their dreams. And, you know, we've got Harry Monroe prior is an actor and Gene Wilder has skipped on He's a playwright. So of course let's go to uh, Hollywood and, and make, uh, make our way there. So it seems all hopeful, but of course, then they get framed uh, for a bank robbery and wrongly accused ended up going to jail. And this turns into more of a rodeo slash prison break movie it's so strange it's such a weird turn and there's hilarity throughout but it's just weird man joe beth williams gets third billing in the credit the opening credits she doesn't appear in this movie until the one hour and four minute mark yep i looked at it too 
as soon as I, I was like, whoa. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. So, and of course, watching this movie, because it turns into a, now don't get me wrong. I knew they were going to prison. I knew a lot of this movie took place in a prison. I just didn't know it was really going to turn into this strange rodeo thing that's attached to it. But because of the prison break and a rodeo, a sporting event attached to it, of course, I couldn't help but think of another film we've done on this podcast called Victory, which also has a sporting event well, yeah. attached to a prison break. Yes. We have the POWs uh, escaping at the end of that. So uh, those are some just some initial thoughts. Bill Bant, do you have anything else to uh, say about stir crazy off the bat here? Yeah, just uh, I'll start picking back and off what you said a little bit, too, was what surprised me watching it this time. And I've seen this a bunch of times is where really once you get to the radio scene, like the comedy just like drops off a cliff. Right. And it just becomes a breakout thing. And I remember as a kid really liking that. Sure. Because it was exciting to see how it happened. But now watching it this time, because all these years watching, I'm still laughing at it. I was kind of like, I want more laughs. I want more comedy. I wasn't as interested as them escaping as I was, you know, my teenage years or younger, even younger than that years. Um, I wanted more of the comedy. I wanted more of the Gene Wilder hysterical stuff because no one does hysterical better than Gene Wilder. And oh, that's, yeah. that's what I love. That's what's just so great because he has so many of those scenes where he just loses his mind and it just makes me laugh. Um, and this was too, which you talked about in the beginning, in the beginning of the film, the thing that stood out to me, this movie is directed by Sidney Poitier. Correct. You think about Sidney Poitier, you think, in the heat of the night, Lily's in the field, the defiant ones, guess who's coming to dinner to serve with love. So I'm thinking Sidney Poitier is going to direct a movie. It's right. going to be like a drama or oh, something. Yeah. Not There's a, a certain weight that you feel yeah. like is attached to his name and his being. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that he's directing a comedy. So I, I had to go back and look at his filmography because he's directed a couple of other movies, like nine. Six of them were comedies. I didn't realize that. So that was kind of, and this, and you know, this is his most uh, prolific one, but yeah, that I just couldn't, I was like, wow. You know, it's almost like Stallone directing, staying alive. You know, you just, you just wouldn't put the two together. (laughs) Right. But I just listened to a pod on staying alive. It was great. It was very funny. Yeah. That's a good comp. That's a good comp. Yeah. It feels there's, that's another strange aspect of the whole experience that is stir crazy you're just kind of trying to like you said watching it now as an adult you're trying to wrap your mind around how did this all come together yeah like i was really like watching this was like i would really have loved to been on set just to watch the filmmaking process because i'm like you would think even prior and wanda would be in such awe to be on set with sydney portier you know and then all of a sudden you're like for sure okay, we're going to do this funny bit and I want you to do this, this, and this. That just would have been amazing. I'd just, oh, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall just to watch them build this movie. Just the, just the three of them together in the room. Well, not- that's what, yeah, exactly. Because I was saying, you know, we have uh, Pryor and Wilder as two heavyweights, but Poitier unto himself is an enormous heavyweight. Yeah. Uh, and to see the three of them, what, yeah, what was the process? Because as we know uh, from the research, but you can watch the movie and figure it out that Pryor and Wilder are improvising some of their scenes because mm-hmm. it's just so quick 
and it has an improvisational feel. So there's no question that Portier let them cook, right? Let them yeah, do their yeah. thing. But then stepped in mostly, you know, when he felt the need to. But uh, they're all, uh, you know, utmost uh, consummate pr- professionals, you know, at the top of their game. So, but yeah, to be always, you know, the, you and I and our contemporaries in the in this entertainment world, we always want to be that fly on the wall for the process of these people that we've grown to admire over the years, because how do they do it? How do they make the magic? And then how, why do they make certain decisions throughout the process? For instance, to make the turn in this movie, obviously they have a script, but then, like you said, the comedy kind of falls off the cliff. So how do they go about that going, okay, we've established these characters and they're going on this journey and we have a story and we have a rapport between these two and we know their background. We got a feel for who they are. And now they're experiencing what it's like to live in prison uh, wrongly accused and exasperated and uh, dealing, you know, Wilder dealing with hysteria and you've got Pryor strutting around trying to be bad, but then at the same time whimpering like a baby, oh, which is yes. absolutely hilarious when yes. he just goes from one extreme to the other because he'll try to be tough, but then he cowers like no other and is blubbering in, in moments and it is so funny because he's... <laughs> like a little baby, but it's really funny. And anyway, to go from that kind of hilarity, then to make a a conscious shift in tone to almost a completely different movie. Yeah. You just want to know what were they, how did they deal with that on set and what did they talk about and how were they going to keep some of the comedy in there, but it would just kind of, again, yeah, totally shift. I, I, I found this, uh, I found this quote from uh, Jude Wilder talking about uh, Sidney Poitier. And this is what uh, Wilder says Sidney said to them. He's like, I know what kind of actors you both are. And I want you to follow your instincts for the next three months. Don't stifle one impulse. You're two racehorses. I want to steer you, not tell you how to run. That's cool. Two racehorses. I like it. Yeah, so let's move on. Let's move on to some of our favorite scenes or moments from Stir Crazy. Jason, why don't you start us off on this one? Yeah, sure, man. Um, So uh, as I had mentioned earlier, my first favorite scene is that opening scene when Skip and Harry are at the NYC bar, the New York City bar. You have Pryor who's sitting at a table enjoying a beer and he's watching a very attractive lady uh, kind of dance by herself to the, the jukebox. Then Wilder enters and this scene actually is uh, pretty much after the cold open because the cold open is we see each of our protagonists in their element, so to speak. We have Pryor, who is a waiter at a very rich woman's home. And unfortunately, uh, the cooks have gotten a hold of his weed stash. And by accident, uh, they've mistaken that weed stash for oregano and put it in the food. And so all of the woman's guests the woman who owns the home and and is having a a dinner party. All the guests are getting high while they're eating the food. It's rather funny. But Pryor is just, once he, you know, they all put it together and they're in the kitchen freaking out. Pryor's very funny, but he gets fired as a result. And then cut to Gene Wilder, who is basically an out of work playwright, but he is working part-time as a store detective. (laughs) (laughs) So, So weird. 
Kind of like when you talk about uh, uh, what are they called? Secret shoppers. Yep. Uh, it's kind of like one of those, right? So he's working. It seems to be at some court kind of uh, department store, and he is in his overcoat, and he starts almost stalking this woman who's an, an actress and whom he happens to be a fan of and would be knowledgeable of because he's a playwright and he's in the know. And he approaches her and has, is accusing her of shoplifting. And she is quite offended. And he's <laughs> saying some, some very forward things. And then he gets fired. So they both lost their jobs. And then we they come together at this bar and we now uh, realize that they are best friends. They lost their jobs at the same time. Gene Wilder seems to think this is somehow fortuitous, that this is a sign. This means that they need to get free. They are now free of their jobs, actually. And now they have to pursue even their freedom even further by moving to Hollywood and pursuing their dreams in the entertainment business there. So Wilder has to do some convincing. You know, in this scene, Wilder, for some reason, attracts women for no reason at all. Oh, yeah. I Very that attractive women are hot for Skip, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Gene Wilder. It's very funny. And this made me, th- I'm going to go off on a small tangent here. This made me think of a film that comes out many, 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 many years later called The Other Guys with Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg. And in that movie, Will Ferrell's character, who is just kind of an average everyman, for some reason, attracts all the hot ladies. And it's a kind of a, a comic uh, thing throughout the movie. And I'm like, wow, did the other guys, they steal that from this, where it's, again, Gene Wilder's character just attracts all these hot women for what I, other reasons, including Joe Beth Williams later on in the movie. And we're like, how did this happen? What, why, why do these women love him? Well, I think it's because, because you almost kind of see it, how he always wants to make friends and talk to people. And I think women right. just like the fact that he's a sounding board and that's what makes him attractive is they must be able to talk to him. And he's extremely kind, warm, generous, outgoing. He loves to, to love and be, he's a very peaceful. uh, He's all about peaceful resolution and finding solution. And, and, and that's part of the reason why he he wants prior to join him on this journey to go to Hollywood because uh, nothing ties into that. And he just feels like there's just so much anger residing in New York City at that time, which is proven by the fact that this fight breaks out between Chico and Alex, who is the customer who's in the taxi who hadn't paid him. So the fight breaks out. But then when Wilder, he feels like he's resolved that uh, altercation, he comes back to the table, sits down prior, and he starts talking about what it will be like to go to Hollywood and he starts, and you. there's some great shots in this because you're listening to Wilder who does his kind of over the top, he's really selling it, saying, we'll go, the, the women there, they're beautiful, they're natural, they're healthy, and we'll be there on the beach, and the moonlight will be shining down, and we'll see their breasts as they move back and forth, <laughs> bouncing, I think he says, back and forth in the water, and Pryor just says, just keep talking because <laughs> yeah. he's entranced by Wilder selling this to him. Well, Wilder is talking, they cut to Pryor and Pryor has this look on his face. He's actively listening, which is something as a lot of actors know is it's not an easy thing to do to, to actively listen, to really be in the moment. And he's just wide eyed 
as he's listening to Gene Wilder talk about the wonders of Hollywood and the beach and the ocean. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun because you see them again, their chemistry, just working off, playing off each other. It's just, it's fun. I can't even say like specify any other real moments within the scene. It's just like, wow, I'm on board that, that scene gets me going. I'm like, I hope these guys do well. (laughs) I want (laughs) to, I want to go on the journey with them. So that's my first favorite scene. Cool. This is funny when I was, coming up with my favorite scenes and moments because i thought going into the movie i was like oh this is this is easy i know what my favorite scenes and moments are but watching it again and because it's been a couple years they actually change okay yeah sure and you did touch on my first favorite scene was the uh marijuana scene in the beginning where we find out it's all sprinkling all this food and i thought that was just hilarious all of a sudden because you kind of knew now that you're older now that i was older knew what was going on it just made it funny and there is a quick segment in there where one of the guests at the party is a priest. <laughs> and of course he has no idea what is going on with him. And mm-hmm. so he's probably like in his mid, mid to late thirties, a nice, handsome man. And he has this really attractive blonde next to him. And of course she's high too. And she's kind of high and horny and she's almost like putting on the moves on the priest. Yeah. And totally. Richard Pryor is right there. Listen to all this. And the priest is not catching on what she's throwing out mm-hmm. and that he's kind of has to like relay it to him. That made me chuckle. But oh, that whole, that whole scenario was just hilarious because, because he had like a full bottle of oh yeah marijuana and it's like down to like a third and he was pissed because yeah, I was going to his girlfriend and there oh, was great. Freaky, he's freaky. not concerned about losing his job. He's mad no. because he lost so much of his weed because yeah. he was going to give it to his girlfriend who then was going to let him have his way with her and two of her girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. What does he call it? The ganja 65. Yep. It's a really funny scene. That's a good call, Bill. Uh, yeah. That very opening is, is very funny. Yeah. Uh, moving on to actually I'll, I'll go on to my, my next favorite scene, which is, I'm just calling it uh, skip and Harry go to jail. <laughs> and so there's a there's so many funny moments in this. And this is what I think we're kind of alluding to, or we were alluding to earlier, Bill, is that it's really like one knockout punch after another. With the comedic timing, the jokes are flying once these two are together. And that's why I think it feels like when the tone shifts after the rodeo element comes in, when they meet the warden and the deputy warden, mm-hmm. then it kind of is subdued you really feel it because it's just rolling like a freight train up to that point. And this is one of those scenes. So they've been wrongly accused because what has happened here is that Skip and Harry have moved to Hollywood and they're looking for work. And somehow Skip has gotten them a job uh, to promote a local bank and they're in Glenboro, California, I guess. And they're going to go ahead. They're in Texas. Oh, is that, do they, they don't make it to California. No, not yet. They're on the way. Okay, so they are in Texas. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know what I was thinking. Why they, I thought they had gone out. That's, that's I mean, my, that's, yeah, that's, that's their totally end. That's sense. their end goal is to get to California. Right, but they stop. Okay. So they, because yeah. the car breaks down, they use all their money to repair it. Right. So they got to get some job, a job to finish their journey. So they're in Texas, but they're looking for work and they end up getting a job promoting this local bank. And what Skip has, 
has uh, gotten the manager to agree to is that they're going to dress up as woodpeckers and they sing this crazy song and they do this song and dance kind of thing to promote the bank. But then when they are on break, the two there's two bank robbers that steal their costumes and rob the bank. And of course, Skip and Harry are wrongly accused of this crime, end up with a really, really shitty lawyer, end up going to jail. So this jail scene they are put into like the holding cell with all the other nefarious characters. And there's this confrontation with a big black cowboy who's credited as his character's name is big mean and big mean comes up to now you have to understand, you got to see the movie guys, ladies and gentlemen, because there's so many things that have happened right before this moment, but I'm just going to skip to the good, this part, which I'm calling the good part. Big Mean walks up with his kind of right-hand man named Slowpoke, and they approach Skip and Harry. And Skip and Harry, at this point, are hugging each other, and Richard Pryor's, like, sobbing, like, crying. (laughs) And Big Mean comes walking up with his cowboy hat on, and he's got a cigarette dangling. Or actually, at this point, he's got a joint dangling out of his mouth. And Richard Pryor wants to do him a favor, so he wants to light the joint for him. And he pulls out a match and he's just scrambling and he's trying to light the match on his clothes, which he can't do, of course. And then on his face, like on his beard and then on his eyebrows, <laughs> he can't do it. And he realizes, well, I'll try lighting it on big means, the big black cowboy's chest, which works instantaneously. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> It's amazing. So now he's got the lit match, lights the joint in Big Mean's mouth. And Big Mean just looks at him and goes, you're a short ass son of a bitch, ain't you? (laughs) So you have to envision Richard Pryor just cowering and just saying, I'm a short son of a bitch. My father was a short son of a bitch, too. My mother was shorter than him. And my brother, my brother was real short. We couldn't even see him. He was a short son of a bitch. (laughs) it's just the best oh oh my god i was crying laughing when he was saying that and basically big mean backs off and slowpoke stands in and gives a little like he's the literally the opposite of big mean um shorter in stature and he just is really fast talking and he starts talking about how he explains how the state hands out like harsh sentences but maybe they'll they'll get off uh, with good behavior, basically, with let, doing lesser time. And it's just, it's a wonderful scene. Uh, I, I love it. It, it. I watched it a couple times, two or three times. And I was dying every single time. Because this is one of the rare moments where I felt Richard Pryor actually kind of stole the scene. Not that it matters much. I mean, they're both, they're both stealing the scene and mm-hmm. while they're, they just keep going back and forth like a tennis match. Yeah. So that's, that was my next favorite scene. You probably left out like three other parts, like the two yeah. parts that set up that one. Oh, com- yeah. Yeah. It, and it's kind Feel of free it's to go. Of, like, if you want to, oh, I'm sa- no, I'm saving. You gotta, if you go see the movie, there's like two things that happen right before that, them going mm-hmm. into the prison for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then once they get in the cell, how they're trying to sell that they're tough guys and then they just cave like little sobbing babies. It's right. great. It's great stuff. All the, I mean, all this happens in a span of like five minutes. Oh yeah. 
three separate different kind of comedy bits in one scene. It's 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 good stuff. So for uh, my next favorite scene is Skip and Harry get sentenced. Um, they get moved to an actual prison, and the warden there. Um, I guess they do this rodeo against this other prison and all the new prisoners, they test them out on this mechanical bull. And we find out Skip has the ability. He's a natural born bull rider. So he wants Skip (laughs) to be ridiculous. I know. Absolutely ridiculous. And it's uh, hilarious. Yeah. So, So he wants Skip to represent the prison in the rodeo. And the other prisoner's like, no, say no, hold out. That way you'll get whatever you want once the warden sees, you know, he's, he becomes desperate. So, of course, Skip tells him no. So now it's time for the warden and the, the deputy ward to, to break him. And there's just these bits. Um, it's like a string of three bits, just hilarious. Because the first one Absolutely. is they wake him up oh, at like 430 in the yeah. morning to make him dig these ditches. Yeah, you know, they, give, they give him like hard, hard labor. So they go back to the cell at the end of the day and prior, oh my God, asking for his pillow. I was, I was crying. It's I just wonderful. love that. Yeah. Pillow. <laughs> Cause he's in the top bunk and he is so sore. He cannot get up there. That's how beat he is. And then Gene Wilder's on the bottom and he's just pretending he's meditating. And he's an absolute pain. Like I said, they can't show that they're hurting because they, right. they know, they know what they're, what's happening to them. They're trying to break him to make him do the rodeo. And then they do, then the next scene they put, they strap um, skip to these chains where he's literally hanging off the ceiling and Gene just starts whistling like he's a bird and they keep him up there for like 24 hours. And of course he gets down and he's like, Oh, you fixed my back. Thank right. you so much. <laughs> so it's like everything that they're trying to do, the opposite is happening. Right. And then they put skip in solitary confinement for five days and they go to take him out thinking like, he's just going to be a hot mess. And skips like, Oh no, no. Can I, can I stay another day? I was finally getting in touch with myself or what yes. he would say. Yeah. He's been in the hot box, the sweat box forever. Yeah. Uh. And then it becomes hilarious again because Skip's going back to the cell to reunite with Harry. This and we find favorite. out. This yes. is my favorite. <laughs> yes. Keep going. So there's a prisoner we meet earlier on called Grossberger, who's like the biggest mass murderer in the South. Right. And he's one of those. He sits at a table. Everybody gets up and, and leaves. So they decide. What they're going to do is they're going to put Grossberger in now with Skip and Harry, and that for sure is going to break them. Yeah. And you know, Skip comes all dancing back in. He's like, Harry, I'm back. And then you just see Grossberger. And he's literally got Richard Pryor, Harry, pinned against the bunk. Yep. And he's just like, you can't even because he can't even speak yeah he's because he's like literally being crushed he literally and actually has tears running down his face yes and skip's <laughs> trying to leave and you just hear don't don't leave me please don't please don't leave me and you just see skip just cowering in the corner of the cell like i'm, I'm just gonna be over here i'm just gonna be over here it's okay i'll just be over here and, right. and harry's like reaching out to him like please don't leave me 
please don't leave me. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just here. And you just tell they're both shit in their pants right now. They're like, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? Oh, like I was crying, laughing at Richard Pryor and his tears, because for the audience listening, the gentleman that's playing the role of Grossberger, he's six foot six. He's an enormous human being. This big, white, bald guy. And he, yeah, just pushing Pryor against the bunk. And as the scene unfolds, he's pushing harder and harder. And you see Pryor like slowly slipping down further and further. So his head is like really just above the guy's belly. And he's just getting smushed yep. against And he's crying. He can't even, he's Grossberger, yes. And I didn't realize that was uh, Dynamo from The Running Man. I couldn't believe that. Absolutely. I'm going to want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. He was such a pussy in Running Man, but here. Absolutely. Um, But then it ends like the next day. So Deputy Ward, who's Craig T. Nelson, by the way, comes back in thinking, oh, we got him. We broke him. The three of them are sitting there playing cards, and they're like, hold on a second. We're not finished this game. Once again, they've turned the tables on the Yep, they turned the tables. Yeah. Oh, it's funny stuff that made just Richard Pryor in the beginning and the end of that was hilarious. Great stuff, man. And yeah, it's funny because I kind of have to take it back a little bit because the turn in the movie has happened here where the rodeo aspect has been introduced. So there is some very good comedy that happens uh, throughout, but it just is a little strange with the rodeo involved in the story at this point, but that whole sequence when they're trying to break skip and uh, Harry by association is amazing. And there's another moment in there when they're waking them up really early and you see they're so distraught. They're just collapsed on the floor. Half skip has his pants, his jeans halfway down his legs. And one of they're like laying on top of each other, having had passed out from being so weak and tired. And of course, now they get woken up and they're all in disarray and they're trying to get their bearings. And Richard Pryor puts one of his legs into one of the Gene Wilder's jean pants legs, thinking he's putting on his own jeans and looks down to see Gene Wilder's. I'm, it's hard to describe, but one of Gene Wilder's legs in the other pant leg. And he thinks that it's his leg. And he's like, I can't feel my leg. Yes. Like, so you Just, have to imagine the scene is that he, Richard Pryor thinks he's putting on his jeans when it's actually Gene Wilder's already put on the jeans, but only halfway. Yeah, because they're so, so exhausted. Like, yeah, yeah. Neither were even sleeping in their bunks. They're just sleeping on the floor of the cell. They didn't even undress or anything. And they're lo- literally rolling on top of each other trying yeah. to get ready. There's some great physicality. But he puts hit one leg into Gene Wilder's other leg of the jeans and doesn't realize that they're not his jeans. And he looks down and sees Gene Wilder's leg and it's like, I can't feel my leg. It's a little bit of a sight gag, too. So yeah, it's like that. classic prior. Oh, it, it's fantastic. Uh, speaking of other moments, uh, I'm going to go back a bit because we were talking about so much happens when they get sentenced and go to jail. But the actual sentencing, Bill and I were laughing about this before we even started the podcast. The actual sentencing is, again, just it's priceless. It's got to be one of the iconic moments from the movie, but 
they go in with this terrible lawyer thinking, well, there's no way they're going to be accused of this crime, that they're totally innocent. And they're just standing there with these dumb looks on their faces. And the judge finds them guilty and sentences them to 125 years. And as soon as Wilder hears that, do it, Bill. (laughs) Wilder's reaction, because he's trying to say what? What? But he can just get out the what part and is really high pitched. He's like, what? <laughs> it's one of the best hysterical Gene Wilder reactions of any of his films. You can talk about the producers. You can talk about Young Frankenstein. You can talk about any of his classic movie. But that this particular instance in this moment, you can't watch it enough. It's funny every time. So I just wanted to call out that moment. Yeah, I would put it second to the blanky scene in the producers. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, that, nothing, nothing beats hysteria. the blankie. That's yeah. total hysteria. So that's a moment. The other moments I have one more scene, and it's right after that whole sequence of scenes after the deputy warden, played by uh, Craig T. Nelson, as Bill had mentioned. By the way, the uh, the warden, Warden Beatty, is played by none other than Barry Corbin, wonderful eighties yes. movies character actor whom was also in war games which we did on this podcast we love barry corbin and craig t nelson is his deputy what i mean killer cast great cast yeah so we were talking about deputy craig t nelson who's deputy wilson in this trying to break skip and harry and after that uh now they have befriended uh the mass murderer grossberger They've also befriended another character named Rory, who's a uh, homosexual inmate that killed his stepfather. Uh, they befriended he Jesus Ramirez. Yes. yes. Uh, Jesus, who's a bank robber. So they've formed a little bit of a, a team now. And after Deputy Wilson realizes that he can't break Skip and Harry, Skip now knows he's got a little bit of leverage and goes to the warden and says, okay. I will engage in this, this rodeo. I'll do the rodeo. I'll be your number one guy for the, what's, what's it? I think it's called the top hand rodeo. It's the, the, one of the, that's the name of the event that he's Mm -hmm. participating in. And he says, I'll do the top hand and I'll be your guy under these conditions. And I want my own team. I want a spacier cell. And he has a list of wants and needs. And so then this is my, my next favorite scene is that you see them, the team, you have Grossberger, Jesus, Rory, Harry, and Skip all in the cell together, and they've made it very homey. Yeah. And you have... Got a fridge, yeah. I, I, fridge. I, I can't believe I forgot to write this one down. <laughs> they've got, got a lamp. It's like dimly lit. It's very nice lighting. You have, on the upper bunks, you have Rory, who's uh, spinning yarn. He's crocheting. And uh, Harry's you know, helping him with the yarn. Uh, uh, I think Jesus is at the fridge. You've got <laughs> Skip now. Gene Wilder has an acoustic guitar and he's playing this terrible song <laughs> called Rodeo Man. Yeah. And if you listen to the lyrics, it makes no sense at all. He's talking about this roadie man that comes into town, but it's this very peaceful like s- scene. And then Grossberger, our six foot six, huge behemoth, Mass murder, like is sitting on the opposite bunk, and he breaks into the most beautiful ballad, yeah. and he starts singing like with this beautiful operatic voice. 
this classic ballad, uh, uh, Down in the Valley, I believe is the name of the song. And it's hilarious because he, he's playing, you know, the opposite of his type. And it's just, it's a great scene. It's heartwarming. It's really funny to see these characters playing out, but to see how they've dressed up the cell. It's, it, there's a funny thing we were talking about. Well, I'll, I'll get to it in our, well, I'll, I'll talk about it now. But the actor that plays Grossberger, his name is Erlen Van Lith. And he, again, like Bill had mentioned, was also in The Running Man later on, but he actually was an opera singer, a trained opera singer. And in this moment, the funny thing is he could have sang the song, but because of rights issues, that's not him singing it. It appears as though he is singing it, which is works just fine. And it's it's funny. It was funny about that scene, too. And I don't think I ever noticed this before until watching it this time. That's the only time you hear from Grossberger. Mm. Every other time it's just grunts or silence. That's the only time you hear him speak. Right. And, and it's just gorgeous, beautiful song. <laughs> gorgeous rendition of Down in the Valley. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Great scene. Not until Will Ferrell in uh, Old School. Would someone break out in song? That'd be so funny again. My boy Blue. A quick uh, favorite moment for me is um, when Skip and Harry get to the prison and we're starting to meet some of the other prisoners. And we meet Jose and Skip asks him what he's in prison for. And he's like, oh, bank robbery. They're accusing me of seven, but I only did one. I thought that was kind of funny. That's a great line. Yeah. Yeah. And then he asks him, like, what? He asks Skip what you were in prison for. And Skip's like, oh, my friend and I were doing this song and dance act. And he doesn't get to finish the line. Right. And he just busts in with, oh, that must have been pretty bad. Right. And that made me laugh out loud. That just made me laugh out loud. I was like, they're in prison because their song and dance was so bad. So it was just a quick moment, that quick exchange between Jesus and Skip. Good call, man. Good call. Very funny. Man, this movie is funny. Uh, That's all I have for uh, favorite scenes and moments. I have one more. And this one. Please go on. And this is the one when like watching it again, I never thought I would have put this on my list. But when I watched it, I'm like, I was peeing my pants. So there's another prisoner in in the prison called blade right and he kind of guys in there who kind of runs the prison and there's a scene in the rodeo where somehow he's tied into the rodeo and he's going to teach um harry how to be a rodeo clown and that speech (laughs) that he gives oh my god i couldn't i was crying it's pretty good it's pretty solid yeah because it's a good call harry thinks rodeo clown he's going to be your typical circus clown and he's like i i had to write it down so so please he goes to harry yeah he's like now let me explain to you about bulls okay a bull is the most evil disgusting and crafty sucker in the world he'll snot on you fart on you do anything he can to match your brain the worst kind of bull is the one that won't do nothing just stand there look at you that means he's studying you, soaking up your weak spots, and remember him for the time he gets to prance on your head. <laughs> and then, oh, that was great, man. And then he goes, he talks about being freight trained. And oh, then, right. Yeah. And then Harry's like, what's freight trained? He's like, that's right. Run over, just like a freight train, only with a bull. It's worse because right. a freight train won't back up and finish the job. Oh, great <laughs> and it's like later on, 
I'll show you the proper way to line the stretcher. I <laughs> come to pick you up. And I was, I was dying. Oh, I think I missed that one. Oh my oh, God. I was, I was dying. Then laughing because Richard Pryor can't even grasp the fact of what Blade is talking about. Because he keeps saying, I, can I just carry some balloons? <laughs> yeah, that's like they come out, jump out of a car, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't think I ever really listened to that speech before. It is a great speech. Well done. Well, well performed. Well played, Bill. That's great. Because Blade it just comes great. out of nowhere and just oh, just pulls that. And I was like, oh, my God. I was crying. It's awesome. Right. All right. <laughs> so let us move on. Good stuff, man. So let's move on to Swiss Cheese and Complaints Department. And why do we call it Swiss Cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it's not Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. So, Jason, what do you have for Swiss cheese or complaint department? Uh, I think I have a, a few holes, maybe created by some woodpeckers. Mm-hmm. I, my first question, actually, is how the hell did Skip sell the bank manager at the Glenboro National Bank, I think is what it's called in Texas, uh, on this his promotional idea to dress up like woodpeckers and sing a song for the customers? What the hell? What? Like they're already customers. Yeah. And it's just so outlandish. It's feel has such a random feel because they're at that small town, like Texas bar. Right. And he comes to Richard Pryor and he says, I think I found us a job. I talked to the local bank manager and sold him on this idea of how to promote the bank. And it's such a weird thing to dress up as woodpeckers and sing a song to market the bank, to promote business. I just thought that was so random. How does that even work? How do you even come up with the idea? And how does the bank manager agree to it? Yeah. It's such a random, weird premise that only pure geniuses like Richard Pryor and Wilder, and I guess get to give credit to the writer too, that came up with this idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it just seems really outlandish to me. I maybe it's not even really a whole it. I, I don't know, but you could say that it's just, it's so out of left field. It's such a weird premise. I mean, following that up with my Swiss cheese is I don't care how inept that lawyer was. There's no way they got could have got put in jail. I mean, right. You have Gene Wilder, Caucasian, Richard Pryor, African-American bank robbers. We're both white. Well, yeah, you know, I looked at that a little bit closer and the two bad guys, one of them seemed to have face paint on. He must have. He did. The the shorter one had some because I was looking at him going, oh, he looks like he could be African-American. Why is his face dark? Because you could see the tattoo on the one guy's hand. So, you know, it's the one guy from the previous scene in the bar. And then I'm like, but what about his buddy? He looks like he's African-American. He looks like he's he's black. And then I could see when they were taking their costumes off, he had face paint on. Oh, he did have face paint on. Yeah, to kind of disguise himself. Okay. I don't think he was trying to put on blackface. Right. Like he wasn't yeah. trying to do that because how would he, why would he do that? Yeah. He literally was just trying to to kind of disguise himself. That's my theory. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. There's no way that they would get arrested for this crime. Like there's no investigation no, nothing. They slap the cuffs on them and they're going to jail. Like it's, uh, or they're going to the the hearing or whatever and uh, get sentenced and then they go to jail. But it, it's it's really there's a lot of suspension of disbelief in, in this movie. 
Because then, yeah, the whole, let me just put this out here. There's two big holes for me. The entire legal aspect of it and the entire love story between Joe. Oh, yeah. That was actually one of my questions at the end. Those are really, for me, are the things that are really problematic in this movie. But it's like, do you give a shit? Eh, I don't know. But it's still like, what? Yeah. (laughs) What are you kidding? Because that that made me think, too, is like, all right, how many times do the bank robbers have to listen to Skip and Harry do that stick to know the words of the song? That I have that as well as yeah. my, my complaints. I have that as well. It's like, how the hell did they know the whole? Were they one? Were they listening? Were they in the bank as the cut? Co- they had the customers to be. And then wrote down the lyrics and memorized them only to do it minutes later. It's weird. Uh, it's just funny. But speaking of like the legal aspect, what you just brought up, that was another kind of hole for me is that you have an awful lawyer who doesn't do any work whatsoever to get them off. And then we know Joe Beth Williams is showing up at some point in this movie. Right. And she's the lawyer's cousin. And she shows up an hour into the movie and her plan of attack in order to oh, because they have gotten information that um, there is a witness, a six-year-old girl saw that one of the back, uh, bank robbers had a tattoo on the back of his hand. Who just hangs and out at the bank all day. So they've got to find this guy because they know Wilder and Pryor, they don't have tattoos. So they've got to find this guy with the tattoo. And Joe Beth Williams, her whole plan of attack or approach to, the, to finding this guy is like, there is a local strip joint a trashy strip joint where a lot of guys with tattoos hang out. I'm going to get a job there and see if I can find like, that's it. That's, you're going to be your, like, how long is that going to take? Yeah. Cause that, that could be quite a process. It turns out, you know, it works out of course, <laughs> but it's just like, Oh, it's just so she shows up at all. Like this haphazard plan is thrown together. And it's just all half-assed and it's like, okay. I, it's a little, I, I'm not, I, I don't buy it. I'm not buying it, you know, but at least that's one of the scenes they didn't spend too much time on. Maybe they should have spent more time. I don't I don't know. Does it matter again? I don't know. Yeah, because that's one of the things I kind of wanted to know is like, how long were the two of them there in prison? Because, you know, at least three months, because that's when they did the rodeo test. Correct. They might have been there for at least nine. I'm guessing Mm -hmm. nine months before they finally got out. That's my guess. There is a, at one point, Gene Wilder says something about, I guess I can last seven months. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, you're probably right. Yeah. Seven to nine months in there. Yeah. But again, with the Meredith character, Joe Beth Williams, there's a part where after now she has gotten a job at the strip joint as a cocktail waitress, she locates the, the two bad guys, the bank robbers, because she sees the tattoo on the one guy's hand Correct. from a distance. So she then goes and tries to call the lawyer, the sheriff's office, can't get a hold. She rushes over to meet the lawyer at a diner restaurant situation. She rushes in and then she says something to the effect of, I know who the, where the bank robbers are, who they are, and our guys are innocent. And we've got to get to the rodeo before uh, they get killed or one of them is going to get killed. I didn't understand that either. What are you talking about? And how would you know that one of them's about to be killed? Because we know as an audience that the deputy warden, deputy Wilson played by Craig T. Nelson 
is planning on killing, like offing. Which is weird because that's, you know, Meredith's With, future husband. Poltergeist, sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but it's so we know that the deputy is going to try and kill Skip, but nobody else knows that. So how does Meredith then come in rushing in to the lawyer and saying, we got to get to the rodeo because they're trying to kill him. It makes no sense whatsoever. That's a big hole. Like it doesn't, there's no way she would know that. She would know that the bank robber, she's identified the bank robbers. Thumbs up. Good. Great. We know that who the real bad guys are now, how they were going to apprehend them. I don't know after that, because that's because she leaves the bar and the, she didn't get a hold of the sheriff's office. Anyway, I, the, regardless, it was a weird thing that she seemed to know that there was a murder plot on top of everything else. Yeah, because that's something that now you said doesn't make any sense either. It's like, why is Deputy Ward Wilson so tight with Len Garber, who's usually the rodeo representative? I mean, the guy's lost three years in a row. So why are you so upset that Skip's now going to be the main rodeo guy? Why is that bothering you so much? I, there's what is Deputy Ward Wilson's motivation in yeah. offing? Because if he does kill, because you have a better so, chance of winning now. Absolutely, winning. Because if he does kill Skip, then your boss, the main warden, is going to lose fifty thousand dollars. That's your like your boss is going to be very upset. Yeah, is that why would you do that? Mm-hmm. I is so my th- thought was then so is Craig T. Nelson's motivation in killing Skip simply that he's was really embarrassed by him this entire time because he really wanted his boy Jack Graham, played by the wonderful Jonathan Banks. Yep, was severely underused in this. Very movie. underused. Yes, I think Craig T. Nelson is underused in this movie, but Jonathan Banks is horrifically underused. Yeah, but I don't know if they knew who he was going to be at this point. It's 1980. He hasn't quite blown True. up yet. But we'll talk about Jonathan Banks hopefully a little bit. But uh, again. Craig T. Nelson's uh, deputy Ward Wilson, his motivation and why he wanted to kill Skip was not a great motivation. No, there's we're we're poking holes basically in the murder plot, also the the legal aspect of all of this. Them getting wrongly accused, sent to jail, sentenced to jail, all of it. It none of it makes sense. Their legal team, the legal strategy. Now, this will just leave me my last complaint then, because since we're on the whole legal thing, too, is so Harry and Skip do get away at the end. And then we find out that the real bank robbers have been caught. Well, we think they've been caught. We're not sure. Right. So Skip and Harry just leave. But I'm like, you're still technically fugitives. You still got to go through the process. And then they just go. I'm like, right. part of it's like, you got to break it back into the rodeo and just be like, oh, hey, what's up? That was just weird to me. That always oh, completely weird weird to me. It was like, they're just wrapping up the movie. We're like, we got to finish this. We just got to finish. We'll just, they just leave. They literally drive off into the sunset. Yeah. Again. It's like, you're free, but you're not technically free. And Meredith, Joe Beth Williams is just going to run off with them. Oh, yeah. going to drop everything and run away with them. Yeah. Sure. And on top of that, Bill Bant, and I can't take credit for this, this, I found this in the research, was that even though the real robbers were caught, Skip and Harry are still guilty of 
uh, aiding the escape of Rory and Jesus. Yeah. That's They're still I, very much guilty of crime. Yeah, that's why I'm like, you got to break back into the rodeo. Like, you never left. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because, I mean, the other two are you're true right. yeah, criminals. So you're right. You know, one's a murderer and one's a bank robber. You Correct. guys are innocent. Not yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. So now you're technically still in the run. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of problems there. I do have some other complaints. Maybe you can chime in on some of these. Do you have some com- complaints for the complaints department? No, that was it. Okay. you're Okay. So... I, I thought it was very funny in the, in the cold open when we were introduced to our protagonist, Richard Pryor, is upset because they used half of his weed in uh, the salads, that they are in the kitchen and they don't want to get busted. They don't want to get caught. But he is yelling at the top of his lungs the entire time. Oh, I know. It's just really funny. It's like, if you don't want to get busted, stop yelling the whole time. Yeah, I was like, why? You just, just finish the dinner. But it's right. But it's, you know, it's part of the performance. I mean, it sucks. You're not going to bring home any leftovers. We're going to eat everything. But how did the bank robbers steal their van? Well, I think anybody could have stole that van. That's like breaking in 101, that thing. You think they just they just hotwired it? Because I was like, did Harry leave his keys in his woodpecker costume? Which because the bank robbers take off in Harry and skips the van. I mean, I've never hotwired a car in my life. Mm-hmm. I think I would have been able to figure out how to hotwire that van. I think you have hotwired a car. I think you just revealed something about yourself. Yeah, shoot. Hello, Grand Theft Auto. Hello, GTA in your history. No comment. All right. All right. So we were talking about Jonathan Banks. He plays. So there's kind of like a hierarchy in this prison, as we hear, we see in a lot of prison movies, or you hear about right. prisons, where it goes from the warden to the deputy. And then down the line, you have security guards, but then you also have uh, like almost like bosses that rule certain cell blocks mm-hmm. where you have gang leaders, right? Right. And in this movie, we've got Blade, who rules one particular cell block mm-hmm. or runs one cell block. And then you have Jack Graham, played by Jonathan Banks, who rules a different or runs a different cell block and runs the drugs through that area, whatever people own money and stuff like that. And Jonathan Banks. Uh, just he turns out to be wonderful. I always think of him as uh, Zach. I think of him f- uh, from uh, Beverly Hills Cop because that was the first time I think I saw him, and he kind of left uh, in a memory mm-hmm. for me from that movie. But then, of course, he has an iconic role too. Then much later on, and in more recent times on Breaking Bad, he was wonderful. But um, yeah, I wish you know so that was a complaint. I just wanted to see Jonathan Banks more in this movie the prison escape bill bant yes this is the the great escape part of this movie Mm -hmm. they formulated this whole plan they fashioned tools we're watching them do this entire escape we see harry escape through like they kind of go under i'm assuming it's like underneath the stadium correct and uh they're going out the back into the parking lot you have Harry escapes kind of through, he, he removes like a panel and goes, uh, we see Jesus's wife is there with a, uh, of, is it a peanut vendor cart? Popcorn and peanut, yeah. Popcorn, yeah. And uh, pulls it up to this vent and Harry climbs out the vent and into the cart. And she wheels him over to like a trailer. He gets into the trailer and changes clothes and thus has escaped and now has like a, a different identities, put on like a beard and a cowboy hat. And so he's in disguise. It's like, okay, that works. That's cool. I get it. Now there's two other prisoners that follow him kind of through the same pathway 
but they escape through the shack. They do a different it's super elaborate, yeah, over the it's top. Completely one hundred percent unnecessary. Yeah, it was like the first method. Why worked. didn't every prince uh, prisoner escape the same way? Yeah, I thought the same thing. Just wheel the cart back over to the vent or the uh, the panel opening in the side of the wall there, and have each one by one get into the cart, wheel them over to the trailer, let them out. And but instead, it's this whole complicated thing because, then, because yeah then like, you can't see rory dress and drag i don't think i ever thought of that before until i watched this this time and i was kind of like why don't they just all go in the peanut vendor thing yeah rory and jesus use these shafts to descend into different bathrooms rory comes out and drag jesus comes out as a cowboy and it seems like it's really tense but i'm going yeah you didn't have to do any of that why don't you just go one by the, the same way that harry left yeah, just the fact those bathrooms had, escaped. had locks like that. I was like, no way. Hilarious. Some of the, you know, a lot of the, when the actual rodeo is happening and Gene Wilder is out there supposed to be riding a bucking Bronco and a bull, it works when we don't see his face as the stunt man. Because you know you're they're using a stunt double, oh, right? Yeah. So they shoot around it. There's cutaways. It totally works. But then towards the end of the rodeo, then they get a full-on medium shot of the stunt guy who's got a wig on, who has too much hair, and like, oh, man, you screwed it up here. <laughs> Clearly yeah. a stunt guy, doesn't look like Gene Wilder at all. You fucked up. It was good up to that point. I'm, I'm going to give props to that stunt guy, though, because there's that one oh, yeah. scene where the bull hits the barrel, and the barrel right. goes flying into him, and he yeah. doesn't move. I would have been on the ground. I would have been freight trained at that <laughs> point. I would have been freight trained. So the fact he took that hit from the barrel and didn't freaking move, I was like, damn, that's I was cool. going to say, man, that you get a new whole new appreciation for rodeo clowns and or just guys that do the road. I mean, yeah, because I was just like riders because those guys are nimble, man. They have to be quick. Yeah. So that's just a happy accident. They caught that shot. It had to be because oh, I was yeah. just like, damn, yeah, yeah. that you can see it hurt. Yeah, you do have a total appreciation for the stuntmen. And like I said, these they're real athletes. Oh, yeah. I mean, they are full on athletes. So you have a total appreciation for those guys. Caesar, who's the opposing uh, Bronco rodeo rider, uh, kind of the guy going up against Gene Wilder in this whole rodeo sequence. Yes. He actually wins. He grabs the $50,000 bag off the top, the head of the bull, and decides to be generous and throws the cash to the prisoners, which I'm like, what are you doing, man? He just throws a whole bundle of cash to all these prisoners. And it's just like, what's that game called when you get like that wind tunnel thing that you can step in? It's like you grab for the cash. Oh, yeah. You know, kind the, of thing. It's like, yeah, that money box, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of like what happens because the wind catches it. All the cash is flown around. And you think those guys are going to be allowed to keep that cash? It's just like, ah, oh, Caesar, you should have thought this through, man. If you're going to give the cash to the prisoners, you keep it, hide it, whatever you need to do, slow, you know dole it out to a couple of your friends, whatever it is, but just to toss it up in the air. It's a good thought. You're being generous, but not thought through. The intention was right. But I thought this was weird. Now we're talking about the radio itself, that the general public would want to go to a rodeo and watch prisoners. Oh, that place was packed, man. Yeah. And then the announcer is like, oh, yeah, this guy's he is funny. Yeah, he's funny. <laughs> he's great. I couldn't help but I had to rewind part of the movie because I wasn't watching what was happening on screen. I was just trying to listen to the announcer. Mm-hmm. 
because he was telling stories of each of the convicts that was getting up, getting ready to ride in the rodeo. I'm just thinking, like, you got up my hey, kids. and there were all these anecdotes. Yeah. Hey, kids, let's go to a rodeo where oh, half yeah, the yeah, people yeah. in the stands are convicts. Nothing's going to happen. We'll be right. fine. That just that just felt weird to me. It's a the whole thing is very strange, right? It's a very the whole thing here. This whole movie is a very weird premise. Yeah, there's a strange thing to it. It's, I feel like maybe if I was smoking some of that ganja '65, yeah, that. Prior had maybe this movie would just be like uh, like makes sense, but um, still funny. We talked about the love story being ridiculous because Meredith falls in love with Skip after two meetings. I guess mm-hmm. we just kind of buy that because it's a little bit set up at the beginning of the film. We know that women just fall for Skip, yeah. So I guess we're kind of supposed to buy that. Here's the thing: is that I guess the thing is I wished instead of this the switch to the rodeo aspect and the prison break aspect. You can still, I wish that you could still do that, but I just wish they had maybe used their character backgrounds as a, like a playwright and actor is more of like an integral part of the plot to escape. I thought yeah. they kind of missed a bet there because you have a little bit of Gene Wilder throughout the film speaking as a playwright, like he's imagining storytelling Yes, And he's thinking about it, uh, certain scenarios and scenes that he's finding himself in and the circumstances that he's finding himself in as a writer. He's looking at it from a writer's perspective. But from Richard Pryor's perspective, we don't get that. You know, he mentions he's an out of work actor at the very beginning of the film, and then it's not really touched upon ever again. But that would have been kind of cool if, as an actor and a playwright, somehow they work that into their escape mm-hmm. or the more into the plot. of the Yeah, movie. I agree with that. So I thought they missed a bet there, but uh, that's all I got, man, for for my complaints. That rounds it out for me. All right, let's, so let's move on to hey, it's that actor. So in this yeah. segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's hey, it's that actor. So who's first on this one? Uh, I can go first. Okay. Okay, my, the actor I chose for this segment is a gentleman by the name of Franklin Ajaye. Ajaye or Ajay? I believe it's Ajaye. And uh, African-American actor, he plays the young man in the hospital. Oh, yes. And uh, I, you, he's recognizable by his voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit by his look, but especially by his voice. And it's a really funny scene because this is also part of that whole series of scenes where the deputy is trying to break both Skip and Harry, and Harry has been dragged to the hospital for some reason. He's like, I don't need my appendix removed. I've already had it removed. What are you guys doing? And he gets into one of the beds. He wakes up in one of the hospital beds, freaking out, and there's a guy in a a bed next to him, and he's like, where am I? They're going to do something to me. He's like, oh, no, no, don't don't worry. Although they did cut one of my nuts off. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) He's like, oh, no, what is he? He's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, prior just freaks out but that guy who says yeah they cut one of my nuts off and whatever you do don't get the korean doctor you don't want that guy he's the one that that uh screwed me up so that actor uh he would go on to have roles in the burbs uh mm-hmm. he was actually more recently in bridesmaids but uh he plays a great role um on deadwood uh he was on 11 episodes of deadwood and then also uh the movie Deadwood. So Franklin oh, okay. Ajay. Yeah. He's a great African-American character actor. 
uh, been a lot of stuff. So that was my hey, it's that actor. Yeah, good one. Yeah, that that is a funny scene where they put prior in the medical ward or whatever you want to call it, doctor's ward. Um, so my hey, it's that actor is Tony Burton, and he's uncredited role, but in IMDb he is the guy who punches big mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's so, one of those moments in that entire scene. Yeah, that we didn't. So the scene that, on, yeah. yeah, so the scene that um, Jason mentioned in the beginning was one of his favorite scenes. Is Pryor and Wander are going into the holding cell for the first time, and for some reason, you know, you have all your kooky prisoners all together waiting to get arranged, and there's an old drunk guy or whatever, and he's looking around like there's a fly somewhere flying around in the cell even though there's not but for some reason skip thinks there's a fly also and it lands on tony burton's head and gene goes to kill it but of course there's nothing there and then turn around you see it's tony burton and tony burton is about to punch skip in the face skip ducks and that's when he hits big beam and then there's this whole funny scene where uh tony burton like smashes big means cigarette and he tries to like literally straighten it out and realizes he can't do it and then just gives them his joint awesome so funny man so fucking funny but where do we know tony burton from tony burton from the rocky movies he was right yes he was duke in the first six rocky films he started out as apollo creed's corner man right and then he's the one, you know, in Rocky Four, throw the damn towel. Yeah, yep. yep. And then he Good takes call, over man. and become um, Rocky's corner man from uh, four. He's in five. And then, yeah, he's in six. And that's the last time we saw him. So, Tony Burton, if you're a Rocky fan, you will definitely know who he is. So, that's my, hey, it's that actor. That's a great call, man. Yeah, he was immediately recognizable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to go back to Franklin Ajayi real quick, just to mention that uh, Samuel Fields was the character name uh, that he plays uh, in Deadwood, just for those listening, oh, okay. if you were wondering. Uh, and he's great in the Deadwood movie, which I enjoyed thoroughly. I'm a big fan of Deadwood. Um, also, I'm going to give a quick shout out to a Hey, It's That actor that I chose from a movie called Night Shift. That's Grand L. Bush, who plays Slowpoke. Yes. Big mean sidekick. Uh, he's in this as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, I had chosen him as my, hey, it's that actor of Night Shift. And because, of course, he's in Die Hard, man. I was, a, I was in junior high, dickhead. That's Grandel Bush. I think Franklin also is a, is he a stand-up? See, that, I couldn't, I was, yes, right? That's what, I could have sworn he was a comedian. Because I think he's the one who does this hilarious bit about training for the Olympics, like being a marathon runner. And he's like, you spend all four yeah. years running a marathon thanks for and i then, meant to yeah and and that's then, my bad i should have done a deep i meant to do a deeper dive and i'm like isn't he a, a stand-up yes so if you ever i don't want to yeah, give away the joke yeah. yeah 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 look him up in olympics he's training funny. it's a hilarious bit he's got yeah he's it's a really funny comedian yeah he's done a lot of comedy that's yes. why i mainly know him you know his voice when you hear it you're like i've seen his stand-up I've seen a lot of his stand-up. Yeah, that's it's one. Thanks of, for saying that, Bill, because I totally would have. I thought I thought it was him, and I was like, oh, "Yeah, it's one of the most memorable, funny bits I always remember." Is him talking about training for the Olympics? It's hilarious. Uh, good call, man. Yeah, he's he's really funny. 
All right, so let's move on to facts and trivia. Where are some facts and trivia we have for Stir Crazy? Well, 350 Arizona State prison inmates worked as extras in this movie. They shot a lot of the movie at, yeah, Arizona State Prison. Yep. This is kind of a fun story from that whole experience. So bear with me. The cast and crew had to leave the prison walking in a line, single file, every night so the guards could ensure that no inmates escaped. But one night, Charles Weldon recalled, uh, this is one of the actors, as I was walking out, a guard asked me to stand to one side. I should have realized something was wrong, but I obeyed him without a second thought. A moment later, Weldon found himself marched towards the cell block along with the inmates. Yeah. Fortunately, one of the production coordinators noticed that one of the actors was missing and rushed back to the prison. And Weldon added, the guard told me I could have sworn you were one of our guys. Charles Weldon's one to play Blade. Okay, there you go. But he almost ended up like spending the night in the prison. Yeah. Because the guards thought he was one of the inmates, not uh, one of the actors. Yeah. So speaking of the prison, um, so they paid, you know, part of the production budget to film there instead of uh, filming a regular studio prison. Right. Um, but they got a little nervous because supposedly the day before production was to begin, there was two stabbings in the prison. Jesus. But when they were there the whole time, there was no issues whatsoever. Everyone was on best behavior, luckily. So. Right. I did read that. Yeah. But yeah, that was a little crazy. Fun fact, this is the first movie directed by an African-American to gross over $100 million in North America. Yeah. And it was also uh, the first film that Sidney Poitier did where he did not star in it as director. Yeah. This was just a little bit of a a sad fact. And I just, it made me feel bad, to be honest, because even though I shouldn't feel bad, but it still did. Uh, The actor Erlen Van Lith, who played uh, Grossberger, uh, we talked about this, this guy, you know, he was an accomplished man. He graduated from MIT. This dude was smart. Yeah. He was into teaching. He uh, was singing opera. He got then into acting and then died tragically at the age of 34 from heart failure. Yep. RIP. Yeah. Erlen Van Lith. I just felt bad because, you know, I was bad mouth and dynamo from the running man. Yeah, I remember reading about that when we were doing Yeah, but I mean. Yeah, I, I, I'd forgotten about that. Man, he died so young. Yeah. Anyway, good old Grossberger. All right, so the last yeah fact and trivia I have is, so in the woodpecker scenes at the bank, that is not Richard Pryor in the costume. Right? He refused yeah. to do it for the scenes. He would shoot the pictures for the promotional but would not film. So they had uh, someone else in there. It might've been the same guy who did the bank robbery too, for all I know. Speaking of Richard Pryor, he earned $1 million for a single film. This is the first black actor to do so. Yes. God, think about it then. I mean, I mean, one million is a lot today. So you yeah. figure with inflation. God, what was, and then, yeah, supposedly he got 10% of the gross too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He made some, and part of the problem was he had that was like in the heyday of his cocaine habit. So, man, yeah, yeah. There's some if you want to do a deep dive on some of the behind the scenes. Yeah, they, they talk about Pryor was notorious for showing up to set much, much too late. Yeah, because of his issues at the time that are are well known, and he's talked about that stuff too, of course, in his stand up. But mm-hmm. 
CBS did adapt Stir Crazy as a television series as part of its 1985 fall lineup, but it was later pulled that same year, October. I didn't see that, but when you start saying that, I was like, wait, do I remember that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. Uh, I gotta, I don't look, I gotta look on YouTube now to see if I can find an episode. Yeah, I'm sure that. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sure that show was horrible. It was a completely different cast, and uh, obviously, and uh, after it was pulled in October, I guess it did return at a new time slot in December for a few more episodes, uh, but had low ratings and then was permanently canceled after a January 7th, 1986 broadcast. So that was the end of that. Wow. And there was talk of a sequel. I know uh, that uh, I think Pryor and Wilder had talked about it, but if, you know, that never happened. And fortunately they're both gone now. Yeah. I mean, they could have done it because technically they're still in the run. So they had would have went back to prison. And... That's right. Yeah, I thought about that when you were saying that. Yeah. yeah. That could have been the sequels. Yeah. Oh, well. Them as fugitives. Anything else for facts and trivia? That's all I got, man. All right. So let's move on to box office. So this movie was released on December 12th, 1980. Around this time, almost. God. 41 years ago. Jesus. Wow. It would be 41 years in just a few days from now. Yeah. So on a budget of $10 million, it grossed $101.3 million domestically, making the third highest grossing movie released in 1980 behind 9 to 5 and some other film we probably have all heard of called uh, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Never heard of it. Oh, yeah, it's it's okay. You should watch it if you get a chance. Okay. Um, it opened, of course, number one at the box office in only 813 theaters and grossed $8.7 million this opening week. And of the four movies in which uh, Pryor and Wilder had teamed together, this was the most successful at the box office. So moving on to reviews, when growing up in the early 80s, we loved catching sneak previews with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of the film was split. Gene found the comedy between Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder in prison to be hilarious. While Roger found the movie to be funny, he also thought the ending was too flat and slow to recommend it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So let's uh, move on to additional thoughts and questions. We have any additional thoughts and questions about Stir Crazy. Um, you know what? Here's my additional thought off the bat. Here is uh, I recommend watching this on Vudu. I watch a lot of my movies on streaming, you know, and they're they're affordable to rent. I did not own a copy of this. I didn't find it for free to download anywhere. Uh, I so watched it on Vudu in HDX, and it was beautiful. It was great. Oh, okay. uh, I'm just recommending Voodoo right now. I'm just doing free go. advertising for Voodoo. Yeah, I know. Free. It was awesome. I'm like, this looks incredible. This HDX on Voodoo. I don't really have any other additional thoughts. I have questions. Did you have any other additional thoughts, though? Yeah, uh, most of them I already threw in earlier. Yeah, I think I've already yeah talked about all of them. But yeah, just my my one question would just be, how long do you, did you think the Skip and Meredith relationship lasted? Because she gets in the car with two guys that are now prison escapees. They have no money to their name. She literally gets into the car with them with nothing. Yeah. Which she, doesn't have have nothing. she doesn't have anything. She has the dress on her body and that's mm-hmm. it. So I give it about five hours. 
before she <laughs> dropped me off at the bus stop. It's like, and- oh, wait, I have my job and I left my purse and I don't have, so I'd have no identification. I have no money. Um, you're fugitives. And yeah, we going to be, how are we going to get food? And I don't want to sleep in this car. Yeah. It's not going to last. I was thinking they at least made it to California. Oh, okay. That's good. They're a good look at you. You're being hopeful. I yeah. appreciate that. But uh, in all honesty, I want them to like, I think they're, they'd be, they'd be great together. I think they're yeah. a big cute couple. But in all honesty, yeah, I think after five hours, she runs off and then meets Craig T. Nelson. They get married and move to California and, it's it's the graduate ending. It, you, yeah. you, it's that graduate thing. You're like, you're like all excited, and then it's like, oh shit, what do we do now? Yep. Good stuff. So in that, we're gonna keep calling back that scene in the the uh, jail with the with Big Mean uh, after Richard Pryor, Gene Weiler say because he asks them, "What are you guys in for?" And they're like, "Bank robbery." And then Big Mean says at one point, "Oh." You're going to have to kiss the baby. Yes. Kiss the baby. And I had to do some research on that because I was like, what the hell does that mean? Because they mm-hmm. ask him, what is that? They're like, yeah, I know. What, is that? what does that mean? And, yeah. and nobody knows. So this is a good explanation that I came across. Uh, one of the chats and something I came across or blogs, uh, I guess that basically means that it's over the end. Uh, think about perhaps when men go off to war and the family is there and the man kisses the baby before they go, just in case they don't see them again. Meaning, yeah, you're you're going to go away for a long time, so you should kiss the baby before you leave. Gotcha. Makes sense. That, that kind of makes I, that worked for me, that explanation. That's There's good. a few others that didn't quite fit, so I'm going to go with that one. Here's a question for you, Bill Ban. Yes. Is Skip Donahue a superhero? <laughs> Because is he just naturally gifted and lucky? Women just fall in love with him. Yes. Uh, he dodges punches. That same jail cell scene mm-hmm. when uh, you're, hey, it's that actor. Uh, sorry, what was his name again? Tony Burton. Tony Burton. Swings at him. He nimbly just dodges the punch. Mm-hmm. Deftly, like, av- avoids the punch. And Tony Burton's the next boxer. So uh, if you got hit, man, man, yeah. That nice. So he's got incredible reflexes. Somehow he can ride a bull like nobody's business. Yeah. He has that. He's got like superpowers, man. He withstands all the prison torture without issue, sort of. And he kind of complains right. about it when he goes back. So uh, I call him, he's a, basically a mass murderer whisperer. Yes. You know, he's like a, he's the Grossberger whisperer. Yes. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking maybe Skip's got some uh, supernatural abilities. He's an enhanced as they would say in the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. the MCU. Have you ever been to a rodeo, Bill Ben? No. No, never been I, to one. No. I, I've heard they're fun. I'd like to go to one. I don't want to go to one with half full of prisoners, though. Tell you but, that much. No? No? No, no. You don't want to go to a prison rodeo? No. Here's my question. What have you learned from watching prison movies? Oh man. What are the what are the tips and tricks you've picked up? If you for some reason, were wrongfully accused and ended up being sentenced to 125 years in prison. I'm just gonna have to go back to office space, watch cornhole, man. <laughs> watch cornhole, bud. I, I have one like I have to go in already beat up and bruised. I learned that from 25th hour. Choose the biggest guy in the prison and, and make him your bitch. 
Yeah. I learned that from Deadpool too. Uh, never snitch. You know, don't pick up the soap. Right. Read a lot of law books. That's what I've always. I've oh yeah. Up, right. Is that Tom Selleck, an innocent man? Your, yeah. There you go. Yep. For for like for your defense, eventually, you know, because you're innocent. You know, get a position in the prison library then too. Yep. You know, like a little Shawshank Redemption. Uh, find religion. Uh, learn how to make toilet wine. That's something I picked up from that show Succession. <laughs> it's on oh. HBO, which is an outstanding show. Oh. It's the uh, dark side of humanity, but it's a wonderful show. God. Learn how to make weapons, you know, a.k.a. a shiv or a shank out of ordinary items. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, maybe uh, learn how to make a chisel in order to dig your way out, make an escape tunnel. These are things I'm picking up. I just was, I was thinking about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite prison movie? Oh, it's Shawshank Redemption. I, it, you know, that's just, it's the go-to, right? Yeah, it is the go-to. You've got The Longest Yard. We saw Midnight Express together. Yes. Right, for the first time. Uh, um, the Great Escape. I mean, their POWs technically still yes. counts. We, we, we did Victory. Uh, Escape from Alcatraz. I still have never seen Clint Eastwood uh, classic. I watched that again recently. Cool Hand Luke, great movie. Yes, American Me. Oh man, I remember seeing that in college? Man, that one's that was that's a tough one. Yeah, that is. That was that was Oz before Oz, right? Uh, then there's one I need to see. Little, I guess a Robert Redford classic that I never knew about called Oh Brew Baker. Yeah. That's supposed to be great. Yeah, you got to check that one out. And here's one I should have put on movies that I'm embarrassed I've never seen. Our little mini uh, mini set we did, uh, Bad Boys. Uh, Sean Penn. I haven't seen that either. Isai Morales is in that. I had a friend reach out to us like, when are you doing Bad Boys? And I'm like, yeah. I didn't want to oh, tell right. him. You told me about that. That's yeah, right. I didn't yeah. want to tell him. I'm like, I haven't seen it yet. That's on a lot of people's yeah. classic list. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of prison movies out there. And then, of course, you know, can't forget Lockup, the classic. Correct. <laughs> That's not on the top 25 all-time prison movie lists, that one. 55? Maybe. 85? Yeah. Well, probably, probably Escape. <laughs> it's probably right behind Escape Plan. Hey, that was okay. It's or not a terrible movie. Or, or Fortress. All right. Yes. Which one? There can be only one prisoner. Of course, Christopher Lambert. Yes. No one else knows except for my wife, the other fortress. So (laughs) and her sisters. What is your favorite of the Wilder Prior quadrilogy, as I'm calling it? Silver Streak, Stir Crazy, Another You, or See No Evil, Hear No Evil? Oh, Silver Streak, hands down. I gotta I gotta watch that again. It's been so long, man. So long. I think Hear No Evil, See No Evil is underrated. That's pretty funny. Yeah. And another, I've never seen another you. I don't think it's. I've only seen it's. Uh, it's unfortunately not good because I mean, at that point, uh, Pryor was you know diagnosed with MS, and he's he's just the shell of himself in that movie. And yeah, Gene's trying to carry it, and it just doesn't work at all. I just kind of pretend that one didn't happen. Well, these are some questions for our listeners to answer. So please email us, tweet us. Uh, favorite prison movie, favorite Wilder Pryor movie. Uh, and then here's the, my last question. Then what's the best on-screen comedy duo? Here's some to choose from. 
Abbott and Costello, Crosby, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, Laurel and Hardy. More recent times, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, David Spade and Chris Farley, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. How about Cheech and Chong? Maybe Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, hmm. classic. Just, just food for thought. Best on-screen comedy duo. Uh, I didn't name them all, of course. There's out of, out of all. Oh God, I'd still stick with these two, even though compared to the others, uh, they've done the least amount together. I think. Well, maybe yeah, maybe Tina Fey and. And I apologize. I'm sure there's other more female, uh, either duos or counterparts or parts of duos that I did not mention. So I apologize, but I, you know, it's tough because I, you know, recency bias. I gotta go. Yeah. Exactly, with with Wilder and Pryor because they just they just warm my heart, man. Mm -hmm. They just it. uh, As soon as they show up, I just laugh. I do, you know, Farrell and Riley, Will Farrell and Riley too. But I mean, just after watching Stir Crazy, though, these these two guys are pure genius. Mm -hmm. They just the chemistry is undeniable. That's all I got for questions, man. All right, so let's move into recommendation, which we kind of just kind of did a little bit. I haven't seen this movie in a couple of years. And going in, I thought I was looking forward to some of these scenes and seeing him again and just laughing. And I was surprised there were other scenes in the movie that were making me laugh instead. And it was almost like, in a way, rediscovering this film. Roger Ebert's criticism is a little bit right in the sense that... yeah. I think so too. This comedy, there is a little lull in it. Then it then it picks up again with the comedy, and then yeah, once they get to the rodeo, it does do like a hard drop off, and it has become this escape film, right? But the funny is funny, and you're gonna laugh. And if that's what you want, you gotta watch this movie. It is funny. It does make you laugh. Gene Wilder, hysterical at his best. Yeah, the two of them, amazing, amazing chemistry. Like, I remember watching, like, a documentary on the two of them, and they were, like, best friends on set, but they never hung out or anything outside of that. They I mean, they were friends, but just, like, movie set friends, because they, they mm-hmm. just said their lives were just too different, that they just never hung out afterwards, but they just knew every time, once they s- stepped in front of the cameras, they were just, like, it was just an undeniable magic that they just couldn't believe the two of them had with each other. It definitely shows in those first three movies they did together. Ah, so great. Well stated, man. Uh, I definitely recommend this hands down. No question about it. So, so glad I finally saw it from beginning to end. What more is there to say? Well, you know, Gene Wilder or Richard Pryor are simply compelling and a joy to watch no matter how ridiculous the premise, the plot, the story doesn't matter. They're worth watching. So watch this movie. Just watch it. Go into it maybe knowing now that the plot is ridiculous. The plot has a lot of holes. It's problematic. But who gives a damn when these two guys are just absolute, as Sidney Poitier would say, racehorses. And you get to see them race. And they, they're not racing against each other. They're more like teammates. Yep. They really are just the best of team teammates. And, uh, you know, this movie is a little bit long, too. You know, it's almost two hours. Yeah, which is unusual for a comedy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so the plot gets a little strange. But again, it's, you know, it's refreshing. 
because you, I can't overstate the power of laughter. Just laughing out loud and how good it feels because it's genuinely surprising just how visceral these guys are and how funny. Because I'll watch comedies that I love from more recent times and I'll laugh out loud or I'll chuckle. I'll just smile the whole time, but laugh on the inside. This movie I watched and I couldn't help, but I had my, I was crying a little bit. Like I was tearing up. I was laughing so hard. Upon rewatching the scenes, I was laughing out loud again and again. So it's a gem. It's still, it's still a gem. And a lot of the scene, it's a lot of it, uh, the laughter and the comedy holds up. So that's all I got, Bill. All right. Stir crazy. Stir crazy. So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Next week will be the cult action film Roadhouse starring Patrick Swayze, Kelly Lynch, and Sam Elliott. As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. short son of a bitch and my brother was real short we couldn't even see him <laughs>